welcome to the sermon podcast of Trinity Church PCA in Collierville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, missioncollierville.org. So flashback to a year ago, the measures that we were taking to not get sick with COVID, we hand sanitized and Lysol sprayed everything everything. Did you touch your doorknob to get into your house? You need to Lysol that doorknob and you need to clean your hands again. Did you touch your face? Last year it was better for you to cut off your right hand than to touch your face, but if you did, please sanitize your hands afterwards. Did you use the handrails to go up and down stairs at your house? You're a brave man and you should sanitize your hands. Did you get gas? You should get one of those touch things where you don't actually have to touch the keypad at the gas pump and use that. And then you should sanitize your hands after it. Did you go to the grocery store? You should pray to your elders. Call them, have them pray for you while you're at the grocery store. Sanitize your cart Sanitize your hands. Don't talk to anybody. Don't even look at anybody too intently while you're at the grocery store. It would be better for you to click list all of your orders. Have somebody just drop it off in the trunk of your card. But even better, you should have your groceries delivered to your house. That way someone can bring them, set them outside of your door. And then after they leave, you can go outside with a bottle of Lysol spray and spray down all of your groceries before you bring them into your house. If you're laughing, it's because you did this or you know someone that has. And it's not to poke fun at any of this. We were afraid of what was going on. There was a sickness, a disease that we were trying to, that we still are trying to fight But what if we had to take these types of extreme precautions, not just to keep ourselves physically clean, but also spiritually clean as well? What if staying physically clean was a matter of spiritual life and death? And that's what Jesus is dealing with in today's text. And here's Jesus's response to that. We'll read together Mark 7, Verses 14 to 23, and because this is God's holy word to us this morning, would you please stand with me out of reverence for him? All right, Trinity, hear this. And he called to the people, he called the people to him and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me before we consider this? 
Our Father in heaven, you are indeed concerned with our hearts. This morning, I pray that you would, by your spirit, unstop our ears and enable us to hear, uncover our eyes and enable us to see the goodness and the love that you have shown your people this morning. Would you bless this study of your word? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, there are three points this morning, three things that I want to look at. Number one, what makes us unclean spiritually? Number one, what makes us unclean spiritually? Number two, what makes us clean spiritually? So what makes us clean spiritually? And then lastly, number three, what does a clean spiritual life look like? What does a clean spiritual life look like? What makes us unclean? What makes us clean? What does a clean life look like? All right, so let's start with point number one. What makes us unclean spiritually? For this, I want to back up to the very beginning of chapter 7. So back up to verse number one. Here is what this group of people that have come to Jesus, here's what they expect to make them unclean this morning. Verse one. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they had come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? All right, so this group of people that's come to Jesus, the Pharisees and the scribes, these are, for their day, the Bible experts. These are the people that are trying to honor God by obeying the laws of Moses. These are very fundamentalist people. They want to be in right step with God. They want to do what God has said. And what's their complaint to Jesus and about his disciples? It's that their disciples don't wash their hands before you eat, specifically. So why is this a big deal? This isn't because of germ theory. They're not concerned with any of that. There's no understanding of how all of that works. But this is because of the tradition of the elders. Now, this tradition is not just something that's passed down orally or by custom. This tradition of the elders was actually written down in several books, and its job was to give practical advice on the application of the law of Moses. So for example, when God commands through Moses to remember the Sabbath and to keep the Sabbath holy, okay, that's great. Now, now what does that mean? How do I keep the Sabbath a separate day set apart for God? Does that mean that I am not to enjoy Chick-fil-A on Sunday? Is that an honoring sacrifice to God? How many steps can I take on the Sabbath? What can I cook? What can I do? Where's the line in the sand, people? Where can I do? What am I still keeping it holy? What can I do up to this point? So that's what this book, these traditions, sought to lay out for these people. Now, practical application of laws are not a bad thing. I would dare to say that most sermons in most good churches seek to give you practical application on, here is what God says, 
Now here is how that practically means something for you today. So being practical is a really good idea. So in and of itself, this is not bad. But here's the initial problem. They have developed these traditions and added them to the laws of God, specifically here dealing with cleanliness. So here's the the problem with this. This specific hand-washing laws that are mentioned here were originally given to the priests of Israel to observe before they offered certain types of sacrifices. But these people have made them apply to everyone all the time. Before you eat, wash your hands. You don't want any uncleanness to be on that food and then in your body because then uncleanness is dwelling inside of you and God is not pleased when you are unclean. Have you been to the market or have you been to the Walmart? If you have, you have definitely come into contact with something or someone that is unclean, so please do not be unrighteous before God. You need to wash this uncleanness off of you after you have come back from the market. So here's, here's, the, here's the point. Here's the real heart of what they are doing. If it is good for a priest to wash sometimes, think of how extra clean and extra holy I will be if I wash all the time. Look at what I am going to do for God. So they asked Jesus, why aren't your disciples being extra clean and extra holy like we are being over here? Don't they care? Don't you care? And here's Jesus' response to them. Here's what their tradition is actually doing to them. And here's a hint. It's not making them holy. Verse 6. And he, Jesus, said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother. Quick aside, so this idea of Corban, it's the idea of setting something aside that you own, maybe property or something like that, setting it aside and saying, this is dedicated to the Lord. There is nothing that this can be used for except in the service of God or in the service of the priests at the temple. And so when your parents in old age might come back to you and need help, just like they offered you help when you were a helpless child and couldn't take care of yourself, if what you would have used to take care of your parents is tied up in the, I'm sorry, mom and dad, this, is, this has been given to God. I cannot help you anymore because God needs this piece of land that I have promised him. And so verse 13, thus you make void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. All right, I love Jesus' argument here. So he's talking to the Bible experts. 
And his argument consists of one thing. It's quoting the Bible to the Bible experts. You can almost hear Jesus' voice when he's doing this. Like, guys, y'all are the people in Israel who are supposed to get it. You supposedly know the word of God better than anyone else. Do you not know the Bible? Have you not read what you teach and what you read to these people? And notice the argument that Jesus is making, specifically the order of it. Order is very important here. So Jesus' argument is first, here's what the Bible says. Second, here's some commentary about that. All right, order is very important. Number one, here is what the Bible says. And then number two, after that, here is what some commentary is on that. So the scribes and the Pharisees are concerned with drawing these lines in the sand. Here's what you need to do. Jesus is concerned with drawing lines through their heart. They've created laws that are making void God's law. And Trinity, if you hear nothing else of me babbling up here this morning, please hear this. God's law is never void. God's law is never void. If our traditions... If our elevated modern learning and understanding of the universe and of humanity, if our cultural norms and expectations, if any of these things contradict the law of God and how we live our lives, please remember, God's law is never void. It is never not valid. It never doesn't matter. So then what actually does make us unclean. And here's Jesus' response. It's what we read earlier, verse 14. And he called the people to him again, and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. Notice that that's the first one that he mentions. Out of your heart come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within, and they defile a person. So what makes us unclean? It's our hearts our sinful nature that we have inherited from the fall of Adam and Eve when they chose to decide for themselves what was good and what was bad and not to honor what God said was good. So congratulations, welcome to the team. You and I, we were born with sinful, broken hearts from the moment that we were conceived. And it's this sinful heart that is the source of our uncleanness. And isn't that what Jesus is dealing with for the entire Sermon on the Mount? You haven't murdered? 
congratulations, that's really nice. Have you ever hated someone in your heart? You haven't committed adultery, that's an awesome job. Have you ever looked at someone else with lust in your eyes or on your phone? So Jesus is always more concerned with our hearts, where these desires well up from within us. So point two then, what makes us clean spiritually? So what makes us clean? So I want to take the Jesus approach here. That seems like a good thing to do. And quote scripture first and then offer a few thoughts to you. All right, first from Deuteronomy. This is Moses giving instruction to the next generation of Israelites about to enter the land that God has promised them. And here is how Moses wants them to know that they will get the good life. Moses says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and that you may live. David prays to God in Psalms 51 that God would purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, Lord, and I shall be whiter than snow. And then through Ezekiel to the people of Israel, God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. And I will put them within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey my rules. So what makes us clean? It's nothing that we physically do. There's nothing that we can wash with to take care of this problem. There's nothing we can physically do to clean our hearts of sin. God does the cleaning. God gives us a new heart. God gives a new spirit within us so that we can be clean and right before him. So how does God do this cleaning? What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So what can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So Trinity, if you belong to Christ this morning, This is what your God has already done for you. Please don't forget this. If you've tried anything else to make yourself clean, to make yourself accepted, to rid yourself of guilt and shame, and it hasn't worked, well, then praise God for that because it can't work. You must take that failure all of your baggage with you and lay it at the cross of Christ and ask for him to take it, to restore your heart, to scrub away the years of dirt and grime, of guilt and shame, of failure and loss, and for him to truly clean your heart. So lastly, point number three. So what is living a clean spiritual life? look like. So quick recap. Number one, what makes us unclean? It's our hearts. 
what can make us spiritually clean. It's God doing the cleaning, making us have new hearts and a new spirit. So at this point, Mark gives us here two examples to close out this chapter. And I want to look at these two examples of what does it look like for someone to come to faith in Christ, to come with their hearts open and to ask God to do the cleaning that only he can do. Example number one, a Gentile woman. This is in verse 24. Verse 24, and from there Jesus arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. So here we go. In this first example, Jesus enters Gentile territory. These are not Jewish people. These are those people who would be the unclean people that you need to wash after coming in contact with, according to the tradition of the elders. So Jesus goes into this place. And look what this woman does. She flings herself at Jesus. She's likely heard about Jesus from the last time he was previously in the region. That was in chapter 3. And she knows that she cannot clean her own heart, much less the heart of her daughter. So she flings herself at Jesus for this. But what Jesus says next is crazy for a couple reasons. Number one, despite the constant fighting that the scribes and the Pharisees bring to Jesus, Jesus still maintains God's plan of salvation that was given through Abraham. Salvation will come through the Jewish people first and then to the rest of the nations and to the ends of the earth. So you have the scribes and Pharisees that are doing everything that they possibly can to rid themselves and their region of Jesus, and yet he still maintains this promise that God had given Abraham. He says, let these children, let these children that are constantly fighting with me, that don't understand anything, let these children be fed first. What an example of loving your enemies this morning. Uh, But the woman picks up on this subtle hint that Jesus gives, let the children be fed first, thinking that her time to eat will also soon come as well. Listen to the boldness and the faith in her response. She knows that she isn't a child at the table. She's not asking to be a child at the table. She's not saying that it is not fair that I'm not a child at the table getting food from you. She also knows that she doesn't need a whole loaf of God's grace. She just wants the crumbs that fall on the floor. She knows that the crumbs are all of the grace that she needs. She doesn't need to be fed first. She doesn't need the place of honor at the table. She is happy to let others be in that first position. 
She's like the woman in chapter 5 who knew that she only needed to touch the fringe, the very edge of Jesus' garments as he passed by for complete healing to take place. And because of her faith, her daughter is made clean. So while the scribes and the Pharisees are concerned with how clean their hands are, this Gentile woman is metaphorically licking scraps up off of the floor, and she is the clean one of these two. Second example, and we'll close with this. What does this clean spiritual life look like? Look at how Jesus interacts with this deaf man in verse 31. So then Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf, who had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hands on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, listen to this. Listen, you were supposed to feel how uncomfortable this is, especially with our talk of being clean earlier. Listen to what Jesus does. Jesus puts his fingers into this man's ears. And after spitting, Jesus touches this man's tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and he said to him, Ephathah, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened and his tongue was released and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Trinity, we have a Savior who is willing to wade into our dirtiness, to open up our ears so that we can hear and understand the immeasurable riches of his grace to us. This Savior is able and eager to grab our sinful hearts and to rip them out of our chest and to make us new creations with a new heart. And Trinity, we need this ultimate germex for our lives because his cleaning is even more than 99.99% effective. His is the only cleaning that can last literally forever. So won't you quit this morning trying to clean up after yourself and ask God to do the work that only he can do? Consider that an invitation this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you have shown us how to love difficult people, how to put God's law first, how to live in stark contrast to what the world says is the clean and right way to live. I pray that you would fill those that are your children here this morning, fill them with your spirit, that they may go from here confident in their status before you. And for those that are not yours, Lord, I pray that you would grab their hearts and rip them out so that they may know and enjoy the life and the goodness that you offer to your people. God, do this and be glorified in the life of this church. Amen.